hot flashes, vaginal dryness, painful sex, low libido, recurrent urinary tract infections, weight gain, insomnia, orgasm? What orgasm? Menopause is a very special time, and I'm betting you've not gotten a lot of information from your own doctor. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker, a clinical professor of obstetrics and gynecology, the medical director of the Northwestern Medicine Center for Sexual Medicine and Menopause, a practicing gynecologist, best-selling author, and a nationally recognized menopause expert. My mantra has always been, if women are given good information, they'll make good choices. And I'm here to give you the inside information on all things menopause. As a physician who treats women who have painful sex, I know it's often not enough to repair the dry tissue. It's not enough to repair tight pelvic floor muscles. Women who are dealing with vaginal pain also need to repair the psychological impact of either avoiding or enduring agonizing sexual activity for months or even years. I'm honored to be joined today by Dr. Cheryl Kingsburg, a professor of reproductive biology and psychiatry at Case Western Reserve University. In addition to having treated thousands, and I do mean thousands, of men and women who struggle with sexual issues, Dr. Kingsburg is a prolific author and educator. And lucky for us, one of her primary research interests is treating postmenopause female sexual problems. Welcome, Dr. Kingsburg, and thank you so much for taking time out of your insanely busy schedule to be here. Dr. Stryker, it is an honor to be on your podcast. Let's just start with the thing that I have to say right up front is that postmenopausal sexuality is not an oxymoron. Yes. <laughs> Most people think, you know, at a certain age, you know, what's the problem anyway? Women at a certain age don't want to have sex. So number one, that's a myth. Women absolutely want to remain sexually active, pain-free, thank you, uh, well into their 70s, 80s, and beyond. And the problem that causes them to be less sexually active is either pain, other problems, or the lack of uh, an available partner. So let's talk about the pain you're talking about and okay. the fact that when you tell people go see a psychotherapist or a sex therapist, they're like, well, I'm not crazy. Number one, if you have painful sex, you'd be crazy if it didn't impact your anxiety. Level. That would be crazy. Yes. I mean, it's normal to say, oh, don't go in there. You know, vaginas are not stupid, as I always say, and the vagina talks to your brain. And oh, absolutely. Says, yeah. I, I, oh, that, that is the key to what we call vaginismus. Yes, right? Vaginismus exactly. is the anxiety response of the vaginal muscles actually kind of having a mind of their own mm -hmm. and shutting down to say, you know, my owner is nice and all, but she's not too bright. She keeps trying to put something in that hurts. So we will protect her from herself and we'll just shut it down. That's right. And it's an appropriate defense mechanism. Absolutely. Don't go in there. It's a reflex. Yeah. Just like your hand heading to a hot stove, the hand pulls away before the brain says, oh, I better move. Because if you waited for that conscious awareness, you'd have a third degree burn. So the brain sort of reflexively pulls away and same thing for the vaginal muscles. It's smarter than we are. So the key and the reason why you send people my way is to learn how to um, sort of desensitize and change that reflexive response. Yeah. Number one, though, you have to treat the vaginal tissue right. to make sure that it actually isn't going to cause pain anymore. But you know, it's so interesting because what I'm always talking about when I talk about pelvic floor physical therapy is even if you fix what initially caused the pain, the vaginal or vulvar dryness, there's muscle memory and you got to go to the pelvic floor physical therapist to get rid of that muscle memory, that keep out stuff. 
But you're saying, what you're saying to me is the same thing's happening in the brain. Absolutely. So once you fix the pelvic floor and once you fix the vaginal tissues, you still have that extra step. Yes, that's an avoidance response, which has kept us alive, you know, yeah. uh, as a species, right? Yeah, it is yeah, the yeah. fight or flight response that says, uh-oh, some danger, let me just reflexively run. So the vagina shuts down in a protective mode and we need to teach it with gradual exposure with no pain that it can now trust its owner to allow wanted penetration. So back to vaginismus is the anxiety response of shutting down when there is wanted penetration. Mm -hmm. So whether that's you going to your gynecologist and trying to relax to have a pelvic exam. Oh, yeah, relax, right. <laughs> uh, but you know it's something that you, you need to have done, or whether it's having a sexual encounter, or, you know, for premenopausal women, using a tampon, for right. goodness sakes. Right. That is wanted penetration, right? It's not yeah. just about sex. It's not just about a penis or a sex toy. It is any wanted penetration, even just getting your finger in there to, to maybe put some vaginal right. estrogen in. Yeah. And, and just to be clear, when, when we talk about penetration, we're not just talking about a flesh and blood penis. We are talking about penetration with a toy or anything else, you know, fingers, whatever. It, it's all the same. So that brings me to, to the next point is because, as you know, very often during treatment, one of the first things that I will do as someone who's trying to treat the pain is say, oh, my God, stop having intercourse, you know, because it's one step forward, 10 steps back. And we have to wait until there will be no pain to reintroduce you know, intercourse. So I'll say to someone, don't stop having sex. I want you to have sex, but don't have intercourse. And they look at me like I've been speaking a foreign language. And again, that's when I say, you know what, why don't you go spend some right. time with our sex therapist to talk about what having sex without intercourse means for a couple that that has been their go-to. So yeah, yes, tell, tell us about that. Well, absolutely. And I wish every gynecologist would tell them that because what we're trying to do is unpair the association of sex with pain. We're trying to make sex fun and pleasurable again. And so for a while, we need to have a parallel process, right? Which is to learn to treat the vagina with gradual exposure, to learn that penetration is possible without pain, that's on one side, and maintaining a happy sexual interaction with one's partner, which is now associated with fear on both parts, regardless of the gender of the partner, everybody now is anxious about sex. If you know your partner is going to cringe in pain, that's going to cause you to be more right. avoidant and not really want to start something or to feel rejected when you see that look of horror in one's face. Right? Exactly. So I've actually never asked you this before. I'm kind of curious when, when we do send someone to you to say, okay, intercourse is off the table. I am guessing that the woman breathes a big sigh of relief in a male-female relationship and the guy is takes a little bit more explanation. Is that what you find? And how do you convince these guys that they can actually have satisfying sex without intercourse? Well, actually, I can predict treatment success by the reaction of the partner. <laughs> and what I will do, so I often will see her first alone. Mm -hmm. And then I say- And she'll say to you, there's no way, there's no way right. he's going to go there. But I bring him in. Yeah. Or if, it's a, if it's him, I bring him in yeah. and I say, look, you know, if you want to have successful intercourse again, you got oh, that's good. You're dangling the, uh, the prize. <laughs> and it's true, though. I mean, the goal is everybody wants pain free, you know, whatever they want, whatever do. they yeah. want to do. And so for him, it is to recognize this is a process. This is not a forever process. 
But, you know, honestly, it's not going to help the situation if he keeps causing pain. So I will talk about that subtle sabotage. And I say, if you pressure too much, that's not going to work. And so I bring him into the fold and I say to him, it is your task to to absolutely prohibit penetration, no matter how much she begs you to say, I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready. Go for it, honey. (laughs) Your response is absolutely not, which actually does two things. One is he feels empowered by it and part of the process. And she is now relieved that it's not up to her to have to say, well, maybe I should try it today. Maybe I should try it today. Nope. It's I am the holder. Kingsburg is the holder of the rules. And what eventually happens is they both break the rules, you know, that I've held, but it frees her up to keep penetration at bay until she is really ready. Okay. I'm going to ask you to get specific because I know that's what the people out there want to know. If they've only had intercourse on the menu, that's just what they've done. And now you're saying, no, it's off the menu. What kinds of things do you tell couples that they can do that would be pleasurable. Let's just, we can start with, you know, a a man, a woman couple, and then just go to uh, any, you know, combination. Well, if intercourse has been the only thing on the menu, then sometimes vaginismus and having to take penetration off the table is actually a benefit because now it forces couples to be a little bit more creative and have to actually communicate around pleasure and touching. So it actually does benefit. It's like you learn how to do foreplay really yes, well. Absolutely. And let's not, I don't well, want not for, to. Okay, right? Well, not foreplay, but I stand corrected. Uh, but it, it play. It, they, were, yes. they learn to play it really broadens well. their horizons on what can be pleasurable when you take the one thing they've sort of relied on away. So that is, you know, clitoral stimulation, which, by the way, is so helpful, again, for the the vast majority of women who are not reliably orgasmic with intercourse. It sort of helps partners learn how they can pleasure their partners without thinking it's my wonderful, you know, thrusting that is doing the trick because, right. you know, that's kind of a myth, too. So <laughs> do tell. <laughs> it's like I'm doing a whole nother thing on, you know, why women fake orgasm. And it's like after hours of thrusting, it's like, oh, my God, could you please stop already? Because <laughs> yeah. that's just not going to have, you know, they're not no. going to have an orgasm. The that's... myth of simultaneous orgasm and the myth that women are reliably orgasmic with thrusting. And if they are going to reach orgasm with penetration, Really, it's much better if they're on top, and that is not the movies version no, of lovemaking. No, this this coital positioning, but yeah, they will get into the details of that another time. Do you find that there's a big difference between the couple that um, it's really just been a few months that they haven't been sexual versus someone that it's been three, four, five years? Just in terms of how they relate. I mean, because what I hear from people all the time is, you know, my husband's great. I mean, he's like my my brother, but my husband's great. And is that because it's been such a long time or what do you, what do you think that goes into that dynamic? Well, Dr. Stryker, you, that's such a varied question because if you have a couple that has been non-sexual for a long time and they are still happy together, then we aren't going to be as worried about what typically happens, which is a couple that has been non-sexual together for a long time often has it impact negatively on the rest of their relationship. So what I'll see is women coming in and saying, everything in my relationship was great. We're best friends. We we enjoy each other's company. Our kids are finally out of the house. But if I don't fix my sexual dysfunction or whatever it is, I don't think we're going to last as a couple. 
And that's, you know, so. I, well, I mean, that's a discussion that you and I have all the time about there's a difference between a, a sexual problem and a sexual dysfunction. If I say to someone, can you have an orgasm? And she says, no. And then I say, but does that bother you? And she says, no. Well, right. in our world, that's not a dysfunction. It is not. But it can be, like you said, it's not just about her. It's also about she's going to lose her partner over it. Yeah, well, and many women are distressed by it, but that is the definition of a sexual dysfunction is you have to have personal distress because mm -hmm. certainly there are women who have no desire who are not bothered by it and we would not diagnose them. They can identify as asexual and that is their choice. And But there are other women who will come in and say, I used to have desire and now it's gone and I miss it and I want it back. And that would be hypoactive sexual desire disorder. Right. But what, what I'm talking about is the interest, the, the difference between sex, uh, you know, the, the impact a, sec, a sexual relationship can have on, a, on the overall relationship. So psychologist Barry McCarthy has a wonderful clinical adage that I want to share. When sex is good in a relationship, it's good. It adds maybe 15 to 20% added value. But when sex is bad, painful, or non-existent, it is inordinately powerful, draining that relationship more like 50 to 70%, right? So bad yeah. sex does way more to subvert an otherwise good relationship than good sex will save an average one. Yeah. The other thing I think it's important to talk about is a lot of times when I tell patients, you know, please go see my therapist, and they say, well, I already have a therapist. I'm working with a therapist. And I like my therapist. And then when I say, okay, does this therapist ever talk to you about sex? And they're like, well, not really, but I don't really want to have a second therapist. So talk a little bit about what you do that's different than what a typical sure. therapist. And I just want to start off by reminding you to please mention that nobody takes their clothes off when they go to see a sex therapist. Well, right. Uh, nobody does. We, we forget to mention much. that because we, then everyone occurs to us. But patients, they, you know, they saw masters of sex. That's and, right. and they're thinking they're going to have to get undressed right. in your office. That's that's sexual research, not right. sex therapy. Exactly. But, you know, I do see a lot of women and couples who are referred that already have a therapist. And, and to your point, some of them in couples therapy have been in couples therapy for years. And really the problem was sexual. But the couples therapists want to talk about communication and yeah. it, all of that is important. But when there is a sexual problem, you have to really talk about sex. You have to talk about what the conditions are for a sexual relationship. So you actually have to use terminology. You have to talk mm -hmm. about the, I don't want to see your clitoris, but I certainly want to talk about it. I'm right? gonna, I, yeah, I'm going to show you where it is and what to do with it. <laughs> and, and by the way, I will use diagrams to educate because sometimes it is a lack of education. Yeah. You know, it's the blind leading the blind at times when couples are trying to learn new ways to be sexual and they really don't know their own body parts. And so yeah. that's really about education. And one of the nice things about telehealth, thank you very much, is that I can share my screen yeah. and I can show diagrams. I send them to Google images. And, um, and one of the ways, for example, with what we call primary vaginismus, which is lifelong, Women who've never been able to penetrate at all. Unconsummated marriage, big exactly. topic. Unconsummated relationship. Yeah. Then they don't, often don't even know their genital anatomy. The, the anxiety is often, you know, takes place long before they ever get to anything about penetration. Mm -hmm. It's about their entire 
vulva and genitals. Yeah. And so I think Google Images is a great way to start because the avoidance and the and almost the the terror of yeah. looking at their own genitals. Well, we start with a diagram. Yeah. Uh, just a cartoon before you actually get to a real picture. Well, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because in our office in the Center for Sexual Medicine and Menopause, when we do our exam, um, we offer women a mirror. And, um, and we encourage them to use the mirror. And it surprises me and still surprises me, quite frankly, how many women decline. They just say, Oh, no, no, no. Or they take the mirror and they immediately check their lipstick. I just, I think that's <laughs> reflex, but you know, but for a lot of women, they're like, thank you. I, I, you know, no one really ever showed this before or allowed me to explore my own anatomy, but there are plenty of women that just say, I'm not comfortable doing that. And you don't want to push. But you, those are the people that need to start with the diagram. But the other thing that um, I think is so important, too, is that we, you know, we talked about how people see us, you know, gynecologists and sexual medicine, and then we send them to you. But sometimes I know it's, it's the opposite. They find their way to you. And we're going to talk about how people find an expert. But they, they find their way to you. And when they say to you, I have painful sex. And, and very often, you know, I know that you start by saying, okay, well. Is anyone? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, it, it goes. It is bi-directional. I often will get women who've either found me on the Internet or their other, you know, or maybe their internist or, or yes, somebody, you know, sent them to me. And I and I cannot tell you how many of them have uh, vaginal dryness or, you know, signs of, of tissue um, changes that comes along with menopause that their provider never even addressed. Yeah. And I'm like, well, no wonder you have painful yeah. sex. Let's treat, get you treated. Yeah. And then you come back to me for the anxiety response that may now persist. So back to, you know, treating the condition, underlying condition yeah. is absolutely necessary, but it may not be sufficient to treat now the avoidance response. Do you think that someone should um, be seeing you concurrently with getting this treatment or that you actually send them off and say, whoa, this pain, I cannot do my work while you are having excruciating pain. So I'll see you in three months. <laughs> you know, which, which Sometimes, I, I, honestly, I do. Sometimes yeah. I will. It depends on, on the severity. Again, it's not yeah. a one size fits all. But sometimes I'll say, please go get treated and then come back and see me. Yeah, uh, because I can't really help the avoidance response. I, you know, if they can't even touch their vulva without right. excruciating pain, that is not going to help my. You can't treatment. do what you need to do. Nope. You know. So the other thing, when we when we think of being proactive, you know, fifty percent of women over the age of fifty do not have a partner. And they're out there, and a lot of them are terrified. I mean, it's terrifying enough finding a partner when you're single. But they're also terrified because, okay, at some point, if I find someone I like, I'm going to have to take my clothes off, and we're going to be sexual. And the last time I went there was, you know, awful, awful. So what is your approach to the woman who is not partnered but would like to be, but is even afraid of getting in a relationship because of the fear of pain? Well, women are afraid to get in relationships for all kinds of yeah, I know. sexual yeah. concerns. But yes, for pain, the idea is, again, is a gradual exposure. So if she can learn using her finger and then using a dilator um, to have pain-free penetration, which I would do even if she had a partner, by the way, right. is to learn that gradual process, then she can build up the confidence and the knowledge that 
that really penetration is not painful anymore, yeah. that frees her up. Yeah. And by the way, it's a process anyway to learn control that she's in charge and her vagina can trust that she's in charge. Uh, because when there is a partner and it's a male partner, the penis is essentially the last stage in my exposure model. Right. And that she's in the big scary penis is entering the room. <laughs> oh my God. And the person owning that penis. Yeah. Well, there's uh, that needs, too, that the person attached to the penis right, needs to sort of be a partner in this process that she can trust that if she says, uh, hold on, not comfortable, he will pull yeah. out. And that's, part of the process. Yeah. But you know, one of the things you'd mentioned before, just kind of you, you tossed it off when you were talking about simultaneous orgasm and how this shouldn't be a goal and we don't want it to be a goal, but that it is more likely if a woman will have an orgasm during penetrative sex during intercourse, if she's on top, but there's another reason she should be on top control, right? Absolutely control. Um, And that frees her up again from the anxiety of feeling like She's trapped. She is trapped. Yeah. And that yeah. is absolutely. But that's, you know, and in one of my podcasts, I, I give the blow by blow instructions about how to use vaginal dilators at home. And a lot of people think that the purpose of a vaginal dilator is to stretch the tissue out. And it's really not. It's it's really to help erase that muscle memory we talked about. But it's also to get rid of the fear, fear factor. We don't want your vagina to panic when it sees the penis. So if you've already put a dilator in that is roughly the size of a penis, then your brain, your vagina, the are going to be in sync and say, this is, this is, this is going to be okay. That is cognitive behavior therapy at its most basic, which is to gradually change uh, behaviors that were creating anxiety Mm -hmm. and using a dilator is part of the cognitive behavioral process because it does exactly that. It changes the anxiety panic response and through gradual exposure, this is an exposure model of learning to, you know, insert smaller to larger dilators or an expandable dilator. Birthday candles to (laughs) tapers to, we don't want to do that. I'm I'm kidding. Really don't do that. Those things can break inside you and you don't want to make it trip to the emergency room. With, right. And you need that. a nice soft. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you want to do, this is one of those that you just have to bite the bullet and, and buy one. Well, you, wait, wait, for, first of all, the bite the bullet and buy stuff. Do you know what your, what your listeners spend money on? And yet when it comes to their sexual health and their like, sexual pleasure, forget sexual health, just pleasure, you know? Oh uh, my God. It, it's a, well, so vibrators are a multi-million dollar industry. Yes. Why you wouldn't spend a few dollars on a dilator to help, uh, you know, train and, and reduce anxiety and, you know, reduce pain. I, I I'm with you understand. on that one. You do a lot of research. Is there anything that you are working on now that, you think is kind of interesting that you want to share about sexuality and postmenopausal women? Oh my goodness. Well, I know, I know you have always have like 4,000 projects going on. Well, there, you know, we are studying um, topical Viagra. So topical sildenafil. I was hoping you would bring that up. Um, and looking at the impact on, uh, on arousal because. Now, can we just, wait, let's back up a second because I want everyone to understand. We are not talking about putting a Viagra pill in your mouth. We are talking about taking the ingredient in Viagra, Sildenafil, and applying it as a gel, as a cream, a cream mm-hmm. directly to, is it the clitoris, the vulva, the vagina? Where are we putting it? Yes, it's, it's the vulva and just inside the vagina. All right. Tell me more. So, you know, we think about drug delivery, right? <laughs> Somebody has figured out how to take what had been only able to be done orally and make it into a, a cream so that can, it can be absorbed through the skin which I think is 
Brilliant. Yes. All right. Where and when can we get some? So, uh, <laughs> we're still in what we call phase two. So we are just expanding to, you know, multi-center trials. But, um, you know, uh, I don't think people realize how long it takes to oh bring a drug God, to market. So phase two sounds close, but, I, you know, it's yeah, not. It's a, it's a while. We're, we're a few years off. It's then. a while. Yep. Um, so, that- so can they take their husband's Viagra and like mush it up and, and put it on their genitals. Is that going to work? No, no, I didn't think so. But I no. thought I'd be clear on that. No. Although many will use off, many uh, clinicians will prescribe off label, meaning it is not indicated, but will prescribe. <laughs> meaning the FDA didn't give it its blessing. Correct. I am one of those clinicians. And one of the situations that we find it's most helpful is women who are unable to have an orgasm who are taking SSRIs. Um, and, and that is a situation when there's nothing wrong with those women neurologically, but the connection is not happening. And sometimes a Viagra, but you know, don't do this on your own. This is not a do it yourself project. Please talk to do not take your partner's uh, Viagra. Really, you have to have to talk to your absolutely. It's kind of like partner. using your, your partner's testosterone and then suddenly you're shaving. Oh. This is not a do it yourself project. No. Um, but, but. Back to testosterone. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have clinical practice guidelines from the International Society for the Study of yes. Sexual Health that does support the use of systemic testosterone as a gel. So right. it is applied I, I, to I the prescribe skin. that goes through the, the skin on the thigh. And yes. But so. it is systemically absorbed for women with hypoactive sexual desire disorder. So loss of desire that right. is in post Your libido's in the toilet. Sometimes a little testosterone will help because people forget that testosterone isn't a male hormone, it's a human hormone. And uh, absolutely in the hands of someone who knows what they're doing, uh, it can be very beneficial right. and, it, want- and it's safe. No pellets. We'll, do, we'll talk about no, that more. No, no, no. No pellets. No. But we're, the, yeah. the guideline is to bring women to their premenopausal right. levels. We're not giving you super doses, no. just what, what a woman had when she was premenopausal. So, and we also use off-label still, although not in Canada, um, Addy, which is phlebanserin, mm-hmm. that is for low de- desire. That has been approved in premenopausal women and postmenopausal women up to 60 in Canada. Um, so that is something yeah. else. Um, we, and, and as you mentioned, I do prescribe it off-label, meaning the FDA doesn't give the blessing on it, but we have a good study that shows that it does work very well. Two studies. Two studies. So what, there's Snowdrop, a, and then what's the uh, other one? Flumera. Okay. So, and I am an author on both. Of so course. I do stand behind, <laughs> do stand behind it. And we yeah. do have data in postmenopausal yeah. women. Is it is not indicated yeah. yet, but it is. But we do. Have but it's data. safe and it's effective, and it's not covered by your insurance. There's that. So that's why it's so important to get FDA approval on yes. all of these things. On all of these things, of these you know. Things. As you know, I'm the advocacy chair for ISWISH and the North American Menopause Society, and one of our priorities is trying to get equal coverage for medications for women. Good luck with that. Do you know what I just found out? I was like appalled at this, that women pay more for minoxidils to help women grow hair. And it's also for men. And the women's minoxidil is identical to men's minoxidil, except it's in a different package and it costs more. Women's deodorant, same as the guy's deodorant, costs more. I mean, don't get me started, and you, on the disparity between men's sexual health, women's sexual health, because we could be talking about that for hours, and we probably should another time. But yeah. <laughs> So let me just finish by asking you this. Um, everyone is sitting here saying, okay, but I don't have a Dr. Kingsburg in my neighborhood, and what am I going to do? Because I think I'd really benefit from, from seeing someone with this kind of expertise. So 
help these women? How are they going to find someone who's not you, but close to you? Well, can I say that the only silver lining to the pandemic has been telehealth? Yes, that's true. And that has really sort of blown up. And therefore, even if you didn't have somebody in your you know, city, you now can find somebody that is licensed in your state. Or if you are a psychologist like I am, and there is SIPACT, I'm now actually telehealth licensed in 26 states. So you can find a sexual medicine expert. And again, to your point, not every therapist is specializes in sexual medicine. And it's not the same as a sex coach. No, 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 no. Just run. Yeah. Okay. Just want to make that clear. Um, but the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health, ISSWSH.org, has a find a provider. And now with SIPACT, I'm going to try and expand that for those telehealth coverages. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Society for Sex Therapy and Research, S-S-T-A-R-Net or Starnet.org, uh, has a list of providers as well. So an ASECT, A-A-S-E-C-T.org. Mm-hmm also has providers, although the range of the kind of providers there is not as sort of narrowed as Iswish and stuff. And the other thing I just want to make very clear, because women ask me this all the time, is this covered by insurance? And the answer is Yes, if therapy is covered by your insurance, sex therapy is covered by sex therapy is covered by insurance because sex therapists are therapists. They have a minimum of a master's degree. Not everyone has a doctorate like Dr. Kingsburg, but people have at least a master's degree, and they're all therapists before they get this special training. So, if your insurance covers therapy, it will cover this kind of therapy as well. Absolutely, sex therapy, and I put air quotes there, is psychotherapy with a primary uh, goal of improving sexual health, but it is psychotherapy. It is not some... Yeah, and very often what I say is instead of saying, I want you to see a sex therapist, um, the phrase that I usually use is, I would like you to see a therapist who has a special expertise in sexual relationships and sexual health. And that seems to well, not be as scary. More, it's also more accurate. It is more accurate, because but it's not I, as scary. I, I'm a clinical psychologist. Of course. I do behavioral medicine. I don't, for example, just do sexual medicine. So it is clinical psychology. And again, sex therapy is very limited to, to one, uh, one focus, but yes, mm-hmm. it is a little bit less intimidating and more sort of acceptable when yeah. you say, go see somebody who can, you know, do psychotherapy. Who does this? Is there anything I should be asking you that I have not asked you or that you want to talk about? Uh, We could talk for hours about all manner of things. I know. Well, can we talk about HSDD? Can we talk about orgasmic disorder? We could all day, but um, I guess you're just going to have to come back. Well, you invite me, I will come. And again, thank you to, um, you know, telehealth and, and the, you know, modern uh, airwaves. We can do it. We can do it. We can do it. We happen to be sitting in the same room right now because we're at a a conference, a sexual medicine conference together. But when you go back home and I go back to Chicago, um, we can, we will do this again. Yes. And home is Cleveland and it's not that far anyway. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker, and thank you for joining me. You will find lots more information in my Inside Information books available on Amazon.com. And follow Francie as she navigates her way through vaginal dryness, hot flashes, and pretty much every menopausal symptom you can think of.
Nose the 